Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Podcast. I'm Jason Lee, along with my podcast colleague, Amy Donaldson. Sorry, <laughs> reading something. I'm multitasking over here. Amy Donaldson and I. Uh, Welcome and to my day. <laughs> we are having, right, we are having a candidate conversation with James Singer. He is the Democratic candidate for U.S. Congress in Utah's 3rd District. And thank you very much, James, for coming in. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure to be here. I'm going to have you uh, speak up, uh, use your outside voice. You got it. So yeah. um, <laughs> we, we, we typically uh, kind of start asking you, so what the heck in, uh, made you want to decide to be a candidate for Congress? Yeah, this wasn't a personal decision, right? Mm-hmm. No, it really isn't. This mm-hmm. kind of stuff isn't. Um, it, it started for me back when I was watching Standing Rock, the events that unfolded up there with the uh, the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline. I was involved actually in the middle of my my doctoral dissertation exams. And I was doing that at the same time as I was realizing that our people, as indigenous people, this could be something that would greatly affect us going on into the future when it comes to our sovereignty and just as our rights. So we started organizing and we did a bunch of protests and uh, you know, we pressured Salt Lake City to to pass a resolution in support of, of Standing Rock and the, and the, and the, the uh, water protectors that were up there. And it was at one of these events that I was giving a speech to at a rally that I said, we need people uh, to not only make change through activism or through policy, but also through politics. Um, that's kind of the third, the third way in which we can make change in our lives. And, and I realized after I said that, not thinking it would be me, I was, I had other people in mind who were, who were good at this. And, but then it, it hit me that, you know, for, for people who are in the majority populations, whether that be race or, or, uh, or gender or sexuality or anything like that, if that ever comes up, they can usually pass it on because there's a long list of people who could be doing those things. And I realized that because of uh, the history of our people, we, we've suffered through genocide, that pool is much smaller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I realized I had the, the skill set that I'd been in public policy since 2007, I'd done activist work and I'm working on a PhD specifically studying society and how things work. Um, I saw I, it was almost a reluctant thing. Like I, I have to do, I have to do this thing. You guilt tripped yourself. I, I did, and there was some <laughs> yeah. nudging though. There yeah. were there were some other politicians who said James would be really good for your political career. I'm like, I don't care about that. Yeah. There are people in in District Three, like mm-hmm. in Westwater, which is a community just outside of Blanding. Mm-hmm. They have no running water, no electricity. It's a Navajo community. It's been mm-hmm. that way since 1948, mm-hmm. and it's like who is speaking up for them? And it's no one. No one's speaking up for them. The tribe isn't speaking up. Mm-hmm. Neither are the city officials, uh, the county, and, the, and not the level of Congress either. Mm-hmm. So um, talking to folks out there, and, and, and the main thing that they've said to me is when I ask them, I want to be, be your voice. What do we want the people of Utah and the nation to know about, about you? And they just say, don't forget us. 
Don't forget who we are. That kind of story would never be heard unless you had a, a candidate like myself to go down there and find out. So that's, that's what gets me to run. So yeah. tell me, tell us about yourself. Give us a little bit. About oh, your right. I kind of jumped into there, right? Yeah. yeah. So my dad, he's from the, the Navajo Nation. So um, there's a lot of folks who say they're fifth generation Utah. And I give you guys a good high five. We're like 30th generation Utah. <laughs> so that's, we've been here for a long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, he moved up here to Salt Lake. He works for the LDS Church. And my mother is from Cleveland, Ohio, and she's a convert to the LDS Church. We don't, we don't call that anymore. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I, <laughs> I call myself a restored gospel Christian now since I can't be LDS. So um, yeah. that's a joke, guys. That's a joke. Okay. Um, so <laughs> they LDS. I don't do that. No, LDS. it's cool. Yeah. They, I get the joke. They met on, they met on uh, Temple Square. And, uh, wow. It, yeah, it's a super cute meat story and, uh, or meat cute story that makes me sick every time. But we, I grew up in Kearns. I grew up okay. in Kearns, Utah. I went to Kearns High School. Um, but we visited family in Ohio and Arizona often. So mm-hmm. at a very early age, I was able to see some of these disparities, not just between individuals, but at structural levels as well. Yeah. When I can see my grandmother, she has her, her traditional house, the Hogan, that's sitting there. And within a stone's throw, you see the electric power lines that pass by her house that do not give her any electricity, but go on to to uh, Los Angeles and, and, and Las Vegas from the mm-hmm. from the, the, the water from the Colorado River. Right. It's, it's right there. It's right yeah. there. And I I always ask, you know, um, why why are things like that? And it's not from from my my grandmother or my grandfather's lack of work, which is what mm-hmm. we base things on in our in our society. Is if you yeah. work hard, you can you can feel that. Um, it's definitely it's not that at all. It's it's there's these structural issues. So part of that I started to learn when I went to college. So yeah. I went to SLCC. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I did terribly in high school. Uh, yeah. Two point four GPA. <laughs> SLCC turned me around. Um, I think going on a, on a on a mission too helped out, kind of put things in. in Where'd you go on your mission? I went to Argentina, so Bahia Blanca, and that was during the time of the Gulf, the the, the second Gulf War, mm-hmm. which was a great time to be an American outside of the country. By the way, <laughs> but in Argentina, I mean, yeah. they weren't involved in those kinds of uh, political skirmishes, were they? They're very much affected by our foreign policy. And they have been. I mean, their dictatorship mm-hmm. was backed by by the U.S. Yeah, government. Exactly. And there was torture that happened because of that. And so mm-hmm. um, it's a big thing. Uh, I mean, they burned banks during that time. And I was in small places, so it was really kind of strange. Um, then I went to, came back, went to Westminster College and work, started working in public policy, did my master's in community leadership at Westminster, mm-hmm. and then moved straight into my Ph.D. at Utah State University. Did, the, did, the, did what you saw as a kid with your family and your extended family, did that have some impact on what you chose to focus on, or did, was that just your interest? It felt natural. Okay. It was a natural thing. The things I was seeing, and then I found these theories and, and ways of communicating that actually explained why those things were happening and, and, and explained how. So it, it, it was just kind of a, a natural inclination just from my own experiences to find that. Did you ever give any thought to running for office in the Navajo Nation? Uh, you know what? I don't think any of us are up to that challenge. Okay. That's, oh, how, that's how tribal politics are. Yeah. Like the stuff we do here, this is nice. This is tri- nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a totally different It's beast. totally different. But I, but I wonder sometimes um, if some, of the time, some young people aren't going to rise up. Right now, you know, right. it's, uh, tribal politics in the Navajo Nation is right. very old. Same as our government, basically. Yeah. And I think you're going to see some millennials. I saw it at Standing Rock. Yeah. That was motivated by the youth. Yeah. That was a youth who said, we have to do something. And that's the kind of, yeah. those are the kind yeah. of people that are going to move us into the next generation. We're going to uh, close this segment and come back and find out a little bit more about some of your, uh, the issues that you find uh, most important uh, for your candidacy and more about uh, just your, your political thoughts in general. Cool. You're listening to the Voices of Reason podcast.
and welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, and today we're speaking with James Singer. He's a Democratic candidate for U.S. Congress in Utah's 3rd District. And let's talk a little bit about uh, issues. Uh, you, you mentioned Standing Rock, so public lands is, is a major issue here in, in Utah. What are uh, some of your thoughts, and, and what do you hope to, uh, if you were elected, what would you uh, target when you're in uh, in Congress? Well, looking at public lands, I think part of my identity and how I was raised really helps to, to inform how I look at public lands. Um, as Navajos, we have this idea called keh, or it's a notion that we're all related to one another. And so when I find out your clans, we have, a, we have responsibilities that we have to carry out. So I'm like, oh, we have the same clan. Oh, you're my brother, you're my mother, however it works out. That same kind of, of relationship then moves over into the natural world as well. So the earth is our mother. She, her, the air is her, is her breath. The, the land is her flesh and the water is her blood. And we have to treat her in such a way that is respectful or else she will reciprocate the kind of, of treatment that we give her. And that's the kind of thing that I've been seeing. I look at public resources then or our public lands as something that we hold in common, uh, something that we all, all, all own together. Um, and this is different. I think this is a difficult concept, especially in our day and age, to understand because everything that we have is so individualistic. Everything is based on the private, on private property. And so having the commons, this is kind of the last vestige of the commons, seeing that not being exploited for some kind of personal gain seems strange. And this is, this is the great debate right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I'm, my position on this is, is saying that because this is our commons, right, if we extract resources from this – like all public resources, they should be used to the benefit of those who need the most. Because government, the role of government is to protect and empower its citizens. That is the role of government. Mm-hmm. What we have been doing is systematically giving preference to fossil fuel industries, letting them destroy the land, leave it that way, and take mm-hmm. the profits for themselves. Yes, they give jobs, there's economic development, but in the long run, it is, it is much more detrimental to our society, to our environment, and to the earth itself. So uh, one of the things I think is interesting about the Bears Ears and the uh, Grand Staircase debate is and in, in, in Trump's changing of those boundaries right. um, is that there's um, a real schism actually amongst Native people about how to handle that. Because, well, I don't think you find a lot of fans of fossil fuel companies uh, amongst Native people. You also have people who think that, um, you know, recreation companies pay poverty wages and they don't. They also exploit mm-hmm. the land. They, um, when they designated Bears Ears Monument, for example, people like me just run down there and start hiking right. all over and hiked right through sacred land, mm-hmm. right? And so what's the solution? I, I heard one uh, really compelling argument that part of the issue when they designated it was that they didn't bring the tribes in and say, this is also your responsibility or you're going to be in charge. Like and if you've been to Canyon de Chez, mm-hmm. where the Navajos run that with the help and support of the federal government. But it's it's their responsibility. Mm-hmm. And you can't go there. You can't even go in the canyon without a ranger. Right. Um, and so I just wonder your thoughts on sort of that. Like I see more than I've ever seen Native people kind of struggling with one another about what to do with that public land. Because while we say it's public land, for some of that land, it is sacred land. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, all, all, all land we, we view in some kind of sacred way. 
Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but but this, some land you don't want us hiking th- around th- on. Th- this, is, this has some spe- special significance because at least for so, several of the tribes, this was the, uh, the place of emergence. It's the place of, of their origin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's believed to be that spot. Canyon de Chez is an interesting case because it's within the Navajo Nation. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, makes sense to have it that way. Uh, Bears Ears is in traditional lands as well. But it's not on any kind of reservation, so you know we're trying to. You, you have to make uh, some kinds of cases between the different st- uh, stakeholders that are there yeah. too. Do you favor changing the boundaries or redrawing the boundaries even a third time? I, I think that we should restore it to how uh, President Obama initially okay. put it. Yeah, um, I think that was a, a good area that that covered a lot of the different kinds of things that were going on. Mm-hmm. The the activities remained mostly the same, except for no new expansion of, of fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, by shrinking it, it opens that that up to 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 doing that. And there mm-hmm. are places, and this this is what's what's interesting about this kind of wilderness is that because it hasn't been explored by archaeologists or or other kinds of scientists, there are places all over. But we, because we haven't been able to mark. They don't show up on the maps, and so mm-hmm. the fossil fuel industries can come in here and be like, "This is ours. We can take care of this. We can well, not really take care of yeah, it. Exploit. I mean, take take yeah. care of it in the exploitation right. way, right? Do you worry the um, designation is going to draw a bunch of people down there to this, and there won't be the support? Like they're not designated trail. Like yeah. they, I think they need to build it up first before yeah, they yeah. open it up and say, "Oh, absolutely. I, I definitely think this will bring more people." And mm-hmm. and they're they're this this is and what you we want that. What I want is for the land to be managed in a way that can be respectful to its existence and persistence mm-hmm. in perpetuity. And it does, it does need a lot more resources for it to mm-hmm. get to that point because mm-hmm. there are people who are doing some, some less than responsible things. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it as, is it as bad as, as tearing it up and looking for coal? No. It's, mm-hmm. In some cases, it, it's really not doing that, that kind of thing. But there, this is the problem is that when when our government finds something that's public, mm-hmm. it says, let's make sure it doesn't work so that we can privatize that. And they defund it. And then they're like, see, it's terrible. Let's privatize this. Yeah. And and if I, I believe we've, if we put the right kinds of resources into our public lands and maintaining that, that uh, we, will, we will be able to manage them much more effectively. We've got about a minute to go. I wanted to ask you, are there any other issues that you find, you know, that, that are of importance to you. Of course. Yeah. For instance. People, yeah. yeah um, so we see racial gerrymandering <laughs> as a big thing down in San, San Juan County as well. Uh, recently, the, the court ordered for those boundaries to be changed. This could be the first time that we see Native people having a majority on the, on the county commission, which would be a big thing because that would actually reflect the population that we see there. Um, <laughs> yeah. right you would now, think would have happened before now. Yeah. No, though. No, I know. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. it's a it's a question. Like, of course, we're in 2018, but really, but really, no. Right. Just yeah. because of the state of where we're at in our politics in Utah, we can bang our head, our our hands on our heads. But this is the state of where we're at right now in the politics. Where that at every step of the way, the county is trying to stop those those kinds of things from going on. Uh, they're not helping in any kind of way to to with the registration of the of the natives that are down there, and and the state gives uh, a tacit kind of compliance to all of this by not getting involved whatsoever, um, and I think that's that's a real lack of leadership mm-hmm. when it comes to the state and and federal federal uh, the federal um, the federal uh, elected officials as well. All right, and when we come back, we're going to continue with more uh, talk about some more issues. This is the Voices of Reason podcast. 
Welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today we're speaking with James Singer. He is running for Congress uh, in the 3rd District here in Utah. And, uh, you know, we've, we've spoken a bit about, uh, I guess... We started to touch uh, on gerrymandering. Gerrymandering and yeah. redistricting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we obviously talked about public lands. Can I... Uh, I want to slide into redistricting just a little bit more. Uh, because, to me, one of the things that's been uh, particularly difficult, uh, we, we, we have a, a federal legal system where the majority party gets to draw districts. And it happens on both sides. I mean, I, that, that's mm-hmm, true. Mm-hmm. But it, it, to me, the, the worst part about it is it doesn't necessarily reflect the – and they have these bizarrely – they look like salamanders. They're just doing all these crazy-looking districts. How is that impacting uh, people in the native tribe areas, uh, particularly in uh, southern Utah? Well, we already see that the Navajo Nation in particular, they're – they're dissected or, or trisected, I guess, yeah. by, by three states. They're in New Mexico, Arizona, and Utah. You got to deal with that. Yeah. Now you got you got three now you got three state legislatures that you're dealing with, and then you're dealing with counties. But they've they've drawn the counties themselves so that part of the reservations are on that county, and then their the other parts non-tribal land. It's in Coconino County. It's in Navajo County in Arizona. We have it in San Juan County here in Utah, and we see it in New Mexico as well. And so there's specific ways in which you can disenfranchise voters or disen- disenfranchise that native voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do by, we do? By chopping it up into littler pieces, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah. so they have to deal with more people. What, what's the biggest obstacle you see They're, in getting them to participate? It's not one. Yeah. This is a, co- this is a very complex issue that goes deep into our history uh, if we really want to get into the root causes of this, mm-hmm. we're looking at um, superiority. We're looking at racial superiority. We're looking at uh, whose whose ways of doing and being mm-hmm. are more important than the other. And right now in our country, this is this is a debate we're seeing at, on a large mm-hmm. scale too. And this touches mm-hmm. on immigration too, and it touches yeah. in, in other areas. Um, but this is the thing, right? It, it is the Christian over the non-Christian. It is the white over non-whites. It is the the civilized over the uncivilized. This has been a debate that's been going on since 1492, really. Yeah. Um, and we're just seeing the, the effects of that still in 2018. So this is a systemic issue that has basis in the recent past. Mm-hmm. It's not that far ago. It really isn't. When you look at the, with the long trajectory of human history, this is pretty, this is pretty recent. Yeah. How do we get at that? Mm-hmm. How do you get at that? It is, it is when it's so difficult to even mention the idea right, of systemic race. Yeah. Yeah. This is a very difficult thing. Now I understand that, that is difficult, and 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 there is there are reasons for people to be upset about it mm-hmm. and uncomfortable because I understand that from from all sides of this argument, what is needed is leadership on this issue, mm-hmm. and to say like, look, if we've got a, a leg that has a giant gash and wound that's bleeding and there's pus and there's all sorts of st- stuff, instead of looking away from that, if you're a doctor, you want to find every single microscopic problem that's going on there, mm-hmm. finding out the full extent of that so that we can treat it accordingly. Yeah. We stitch it up right. I, I'm very inspired by some of the work that was done in the anti-apartheid movement because they said, here is what happened at a systemic level. And let me tell you truthfully how I participated in the system so that we can come to a reconciliation. We haven't come to that. And we're not even talking about those things in our country yet. So let's talk about another super easy issue. Let's talk about immigration. <laughs> <laughs> I throw you this softball. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. are some of your – I mean, I, I think the highlights for me are DACA. Family separation. Um, yeah. You know, what do you do with people who do cross illegally with children? Sure. What are some What are some of your thoughts on? Let's go DACA first. Well, 
I, I want to couch this in in a, in a narrative first. Sure. I think, um, especially people from my party and ways of thinking, we're great at talking about policies and all mm-hmm. the, the ins and outs and, and nuts mm-hmm. and bolts of this. It is a value-based system that we need to be approaching immigration. We look at other people humanely, that they mm-hmm. are human beings and that they will become future Americans. Mm-hmm. And I would see that we, we should be looking at ways, creating policies, that if people are willing to come to our country, work, work become mm-hmm. part of our society, and, and raising their families here, we should make them future Americans. We should make them as Americans and integrated as possible in an exchange, mm-hmm. right? With every wave of immigration, uh, the country has changed. Our society yeah. has changed. Is there any in-between for you, though? Um, we work with an immigration lawyer on, mm-hmm. on a, a live event, and sure. one of his solutions to the illegal entry problem was – that you're never going to deport your way out of this problem. So what if you offer them some kind of legal status yeah. that is not citizenship and they can never become citizens? But some people don't want to be citizens. I know people who want to work here. Sure. And then they maybe want to go home. But they, they love their country, their heritage, whatever. Mm-hmm. But they also love America. And this is one thing I think Americans have a tough time with. Like you can love two places. Right. And it's not, not an yeah. either or proposition. Yeah. 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 And it doesn't make you less American to love the place where you came from either. So I, is there an in-between in your mind? I think that if there's anyone who wants to um, not have citizenship, that is their prerogative. They so, can do that. But to have the option yeah. of full citizenship if you're already part of that society. It, it is a question of what do we consider citizenship? Mm-hmm. What does that actually mean? Uh, and what, what does it mean to be an ideal American? Mm-hmm. Those are the, the things that we're not talking about. We 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 are thinking them. We are mm-hmm. thinking about what that ideal American should look and think and speak like. Mm-hmm. And if they don't meet up to that, then they're not actually Americans. And um, so, do you favor a path to citizenship for yes, DACA kids? Absolutely. You're, you're told if this is the only country yeah. that they've known, mm-hmm. this to me makes sense. Okay. This to me makes sense. Um, so, and, what do you do about illegal entry and got people overstaying visas and people? Twelve million people here estimated illegally. What do you do about those? My wife was here on an overstayed visa. Okay. And it was not by choice that she wanted to be that way, but she fled Venezuela, okay. where there was a dictatorship, and it was mm-hmm. you know terrible conditions that she lived in there. I saw how it affected her at a personal level, how she was basically living in the shadows. Her self-esteem is, is corroded. Her outlook on life hits, hits a top point there. It doesn't go beyond that. Mm-hmm. People do not want that. I don't feel like that is an, uh, an empathetic and socially responsible way of looking at a large mass of people in our country. These are millions of people. It allows employers to exploit them too. It does. Yeah. It does. And I mean, there, there's mm-hmm. definitely that. But I'm, when we're looking at the human condition. Sure then citizenship is defined however we want to define it. And yeah. illegality, there, there are so many things in our past that have been illegal, and they've been wrong too. Um, yeah. And I think that by calling that, well, that's illegal, it's because we're trying to, to maintain some kind of racial purity in our society. Mm-hmm. America, the idea of America is bringing in people to a democracy. That's mm-hmm. equality. And, and the kinds of policies that try to um, keep people out or exploit them or, or any, that keeps them from fulfilling their, their true rights as, as human beings, well, that's not democratic. I don't think we hit this, but what do you do for a living? But, oh, and we're going to – we'll we'll call that a tease. For okay. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so we're going to continue our discussion with James Singer, who's running for Congress in Utah's 3rd District. This is the Voices of Reason podcast. Welcome back to the Voices of Reason podcast. We're speaking with, well, first of all, I'm Jason Lee, and she's Amy Donaldson. We're speaking with James Singer. He is running for Congress in Utah's 3rd District as a Democrat. 
And uh, James, what do you do, by the way? I'm a college professor. Ah, I, I, I couldn't tell. I what teach, are you college professor? <laughs> I teach sociology and ethnic studies and also in the Master of Arts of Community Leadership at Westminster College. So I teach full-time at SLCC. Mm-hmm. And then at Westminster, both of my alma maters. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Give them back. Give them back. So what have you learned through this? You you kind of – you told us how you got into running for office. What have you learned on the campaign trail? Well, this is – it's a humbling experience more than anything because what you're doing is you're trying to be the conduit for so many different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And we've traveled up and down the the district so many times. And we've been to places that, that candidates have never even set foot in before. I mean, these are some of the most remote areas on the reservation. We've been out to places like Sunnyside, which is in uh, East Carbon County. And it is just, uh, I mean, these these are places that people don't go. And if they only go, it's only for a photo op. And I've been there. I was going to say, I've been in the Little Grand Canyon. I, and, and we've been there several times, not for photo ops, yeah. but because we want to hear what, what these people are going through and try and mm-hmm. be their voice. So some of the, the efforts that we've been really happy to see, especially when it comes to the big challenges that are going on in San Juan County, is the voter registration that is happening. So already they've got close to 1,500 uh, registered, new registered voters. First-time voters. For, excuse wow. me? First time. First time, first time first voters. Time. First time voters. They're trying to, to make sure that uh, all the, the addresses are used to GPS so they can get into the right mm-hmm. kinds of districts, voting districts. This will be – this is a big – this is a really big deal. And we there's there are goals to get up to 4,000 by, by October. So mm-hmm. – and, and it is talking to people who, who have lost hope. And, and there's a lot of folks in, in Utah County who feel that way, actually. As I talk to them, they're not happy with the representation they have, but they also think they're the only progressive or liberal-minded person in the entire neighborhood. And I'm like, actually, if you look at this list here, mm-hmm. there's a lot of other weird people like you in your neighborhood. And just showing that we need to be moving on past the fear and the divisiveness that we're seeing in our in our politics right now. And so – our message of, of values and hope and and of of I don't know, just something better, the promise of democracy has motivated people. We see a lot of the down ballot candidates, they've been they knock doors. They're knocking doors like crazy. There are there are there were BYU students who came up to us and we you know, we filled out lists of people who want to be involved in the campaign mm-hmm. and getting people out. Are you do you feel like you're giving some people a sense of empowerment for the first time? I mean, especially these people who've never participated in the political process. Sometimes I feel like I'm getting more out of it than they because I'm hearing their stories and it's building me up so much. Mm-hmm. And But I'm just trying to convey, you know, what I know and then what they're telling me. And mm-hmm. and it is it is moving to see, you know, the, the, the grandmothers, the Navajo grandmothers mm-hmm. at the chapter meeting and say, like, you know, I'm – I'm the first native to ever run for Congress. I'm Navajo. And I tell them, Yate, you know, I say it in our language. And they look at me like, what? This is impossible. We thought we would never see anything like this in our lives until it finally dawns on them the gravity mm-hmm. of the situation of what's going on here. So mm-hmm. it's it's very moving. And I, I, I see the hope in these people, too. Do you have a, a role model or somebody you've uh, kind of looked to as a mentor? Yeah, there's so many. You know, uh, my parents specifically, um, I mean, it's a go-to because of the kinds of adversity they've had to overcome. Uh, we're working class folks. We're gray collar, 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad, he's a security officer. He came up from the Navajo Nation with 55 cents in his pocket. It is the American dream story mm-hmm. that isn't being repeated, by the way, these days. Um, he went through trauma at boarding school and in the foster care system with the LDS Church. And he provided a stable house. And he worked his entire life. And my mother was there, and she showed empathy. She worked in the community. She w- she did as much as she could, as lovingly as she could. Mm-hmm. And th- there are two there are two examples. And these are these are self identified conservative folks here. Mm-hmm painted the way for me to see a world that was like the world that they think is happening is not happening at the systemic level, Mm -hmm. right? The things that they want won't happen at the individual level, but it's their example. It's push me. And then, and there's others too. I mean, you know, all of, all of some of the great leaders that have, that have had movements um, throughout our history are something that, that have always inspired me to say, look, I'm not really a trailblazer. I am just riding on the coattails of some very ambitious and organized and powerful people, and we just need to see that here in Utah. Uh, do you have a, a favorite or a motto or a mantra that you kind of that has guided you? Uh, courage, mm-hmm. and it was specifically why my, my my parents named me with that middle name. So I'm using that as part of my campaign. I, I identify as I identify as James Courage Singer. That mm-hmm. is who I am, and because courage is the opposite of fear. And courage means that we have to do everything we can to overcome the most difficult things. Our peoples, as indigenous peoples, are probably the most resilient mm-hmm. of all. I would agree. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to make no, it a. I don't want to make it some kind of competition no, no. of who's more. Resilient, yeah. But it, it's down there. Not even close. Yeah. It, yeah. it has pushed me to become the first in my family to go to college. It has pushed me to become a college professor, to, to provide all the things that I want. Everything that has motivated my life has been because my parents named me that. And I knew they did that for a reason. And it's why I decided to stand up at this moment and run for Congress, because it's crazy. This is a crazy thing to do. I would much rather just <laughs> teach. It's a courageous thing teach to do, my right? Class. Right. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's yeah. a courageous thing to yeah. do. It, it's, it's necessary, though. This yeah. is what's so frustrating, mm-hmm. I think, is that... There are, there are so many people right now who say, James, you're, like, let's be honest, James, you're in a district where there isn't a whole lot of hope. Why are you even trying? And I have to ask them, like, so it's not worth fighting for LGBTQ rights. It's not worth fighting f- to get rid of gen- jerry, uh, racial gerrymandering. It's not worth fighting to have health care for everybody and treat them as, as human beings and not as commodities. You're telling me it's not worth fighting for clean air. Because basically that's what you're telling me that, that we should be doing is not any of that. And and so I think it does take courage to stand up for those things, even when the odds are against you. You mentioned, uh, and Amy usually asks this, so what, what, is there something in your life that was particularly challenging that you've had to overcome? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from the, from the get-go. Yeah. Uh, I mean um, – I think I think schooling has been difficult. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing to do. Um, having the dream at the beginning, right, in elementary school in a, in a little school like Kearns, right, mm-hmm. where you're, there's not much expected out of you, right? Yeah. It's Kearns. It's not as bad as some of the worst places in the United States. It really isn't. But here there's a stigma, and there wasn't much expected from us. My cousins, who are my age, are dead. 
that is that is the reality of what it means to be a Native American in this in this country, and that and that my sisters have a one in two chance of being sexually assaulted or violated or raped because they are Native women in this country. Just having to deal with some of these things, mm-hmm. just on a normal basis, and keeping it in the back of your mind, saying, "Let's not have that bother me," as I try and figure out this algebraic equation, yeah. or as I put trying to make plans on what I want to do for my career when it comes to to schooling or whatever it is. And you're figuring out if you're going to go to prom or how you're going to ask <laughs> any, <laughs> any of, of the normal kid things. I yeah. mean, and the things yeah. that you bump into. I mean, we saw it in the campaign. There were people who said, "A, a person of color will never win." In CD3, this, this wasn't conservative people who were saying this. These were liberal people who said we shouldn't elect James because people won't like that. It'll make them uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. I just say that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Do we not? Are we? Are we? Can we not deal with this right now and talk about how there is a, a the promise of democracy? Where, where are our value system? Where is that idea of equality? And so I think that's. Even though it has been difficult, it also serves as a motivator to push through that to say, it doesn't matter even if I fail, I can show people that I'm trying to push against these different kinds of, of social forces. Last thing. Yeah. Do you want to, we usually give you two minutes to tell us why people should trust you with their vote. I think you've done that repeatedly in this last segment. <laughs> but, I, but I mean, is there anything else you want to tell people about why, you know, what you would do for them and how you would represent them? I can I can I can probably go through all of the different kinds of of data about why it would be important to elect a person of color from from congressional district 3 mm-hmm. and I can tell you all the wonderful policies that would be that would help our society mm-hmm. and especially the knowledge that I have knowing about how how the changes in our in our in our our democracy and our economy mm-hmm. have made it difficult for the American dream to happen but I think what I feel is most is important to mention is that I feel like I have a good grasp on what our value system is. Mm-hmm. It is that as Americans, we value empathy. We value social responsibility. We value trust and transparency. We value uh, mutual responsibility and, and broad prosperity. And using a framework, that kind of framework, to push different kinds of policies, I always know that I can look at that and say, is it meeting our values? Because if it's not, then I don't have to go through that. And and that can be – poverty affects both Republicans and Democrats and independents. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, no, there's no discriminatory behavior on that. It affects everybody. And I just want to be that person to stand up for our community to say there's a way of thinking and doing, that there's a way of we can have balance back into our society – that we can bring a higher ideal and live up to the promise of democracy. And I feel like I can do that better than anyone else that's running right now. James Courage Singer, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you and for joining thank us. Thank you for joining us. Uh, for, and you have to hopefully join us again for the next episode of the Voices of Reason podcast. And if you have comments about our show, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail or at vorjasonl at gmail. And you can also find us on Twitter at AD on Sports and at Jason Lee One. Our show's Twitter handle is at VOR Podcast. And you can check out our Facebook page and also subscribe to episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or other places where you might find interesting podcasts. Be sure to review our show as well. We'll love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, when you're engaged in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. <laughs>